Good morning. I wanted to get up here as quickly as I could because I'm just now realizing that that little clock counter there is for me, counting things down. <clears throat> I want to say uh, a, a great thank you to Gary Sanders for inviting me to come and be with you today in this Vision and Valor Day, to, actually, to literally come home uh, to this church where my wife and I, Beth and I, were members uh, just a few years ago, I was deployed a good amount of this time, but I'm looking over in that section to see who's in my seat over there in that wing. But we love being a part of this church. Uh, Gary Sanders leads this uh, military ministry, and I want you to know that it is a tremendous outreach of your church. And I commend you as a church for your support and sponsorship of that ministry that's making an indelible mark on the lives of so many young service members, men and women in uniform, as they transition and come through this area, you have a lasting impact upon them. And uh, so I've been encouraged just listening to Gary as we've talked the last day, and he shared with me some of the things that are going on and, and just the outreach to the community uh, of, of service military members. Uh, I also want to say thank you to your pastor, Brother Eric Thomas. And uh, I was able to sit and, and listen and to grow under his teaching and his preaching. And I want you to know you have one of the premier pastors and preachers in our convention in, across this country. Do you know that? Thank the Lord that you have him as your pastor. He is a tremendous preacher and leader. Uh, and as he exposes the Word of God every week, what an honor uh, to be able to sit and to grow and to listen. Uh, to him. But I, uh, I was thinking this morning, and I was telling the early crowd that was here at 8.30, I said, you know, I give you a special commendation for being here uh, for that early service because it's the military way. Somehow or another, the military always wants to do things early. And here's the way they do it. They, they start out with a, a show-up time of 8.0800 when we're going to kick this thing off. And the commander tells that to the, to the other leaders, and the leaders tell the next group of people, be here at 7 so we can kick it off at 8. And, and as it passes on down, be here at 6 so we can kick it off at 8 and 5. And by the time you get down to the people who actually have to show up, it's the day before that they're showing up to get there for what's at 8 the next day. So always want to do things early. I remember when I told a church member as I was being called into chaplaincy and naval chaplaincy that I was getting ready to come in the military. He was a, a retired member of the military. And he says, you do understand that they get up early, right? I, I, I took that as advice uh, in his words to me. Never did I realize or believe that when God called me into ministry, uh, which was about the age of 17, when I was a senior in high school, God began to call me into ministry. I never had in my, it was never in my master plan, my blueprint for my life, that I would be a chaplain in the Navy serving our men and women in uniform. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank, well, thank you. And a lot of my career has been with the Marine Corps. You, you look at Ben, and he talks about Josh, who we honored this morning. They're all about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you know? So I always felt very safe serving with the Marines. 
wherever I went. And I, and I honor you today, Ben. Thanks for your service and your, um, and your ministry as well as a Christian serving as a Marine. You have a beautiful family. But I, uh, I, and I was in Hawaii. I told Ben I was in Hawaii when that Osprey crashed and we lost those two Marines. But never did I believe I'd be a Navy chaplain, but I am so humbled and so honored to serve those who serve our nation, who put on the garments, the cloth of our nation, who are willing to go into service and many times to sacrifice and sometimes to sacrifice everything so that we might enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. So today, tomorrow, we remember but it's something we should constantly do, isn't it? It's something that we should never forget the sacrifice of those who have gone before us because we enjoy the freedoms and the liberties that we do today. A little background on Memorial Day. It began just after the Civil War in 1868. John Logan, who was a veteran of the Civil War, established a day and set aside a day, which was on the May 30th of 1868, to commemorate and remember those who had died in the great civil war at that time. And he said, we have our service members all across this great land in the church cemetery yards that are buried, and we need to remember them. And originally it was called Decoration Day because the citizens of those communities would go to those cemeteries and lay wreaths and flowers upon the graves of those who gave their lives. When World War I came around, that Memorial Day took on a new meaning. It became, became symbolic for remembering all who had died in wars and service to our country. 1968, Congress passed an act to uh, instate what we now know as Memorial Day as the last Monday of every May to commemorate Memorial Day. 1971, it became an official law, and we now since have Memorial Day as a national holiday uh, in our country because we need to remember. We need to never forget those who have gone before us. Let me just share with you the numbers of those who have died in the wars past, American Revolutionary War, 25,000 died in the beginnings of our nation as we know it. The War of 1812, 15,000. The Me Mexican-American War, 13,000. The Civil War, and get this number, 655,000. The Spanish-American War, nearly 3,000. The Philippine-American War, 4,000. World War I, 117,000. World War II, 405,000. The Korean War, 37,000. Vietnam War, 58,000. Afghanistan War, probably approaching 3,000. Iraq, 4,500. And the totals, the numbers of those killed, all accumulated, according to the records, a million three hundred fifty-four thousand. And there were another million and a half casualties, some who've never been located. 
we're still retrieving remains of service members who died in places like Vietnam and these other Tarawa, other places around the world. We have cemeteries in France for many who died in the invasion in Normandy. And the list goes on and on. You see there a great sacrifice has been made so that we might know the freedoms that we enjoy today. Before my dad was a pastor, he pastored my whole life. Um, he was also a sailor. And he served in World War II as a signalman. Does anybody know what a signalman is in here? He was a signalman. Basically, his job was to communicate between ships and from ship to shore. And uh, he went in with a group of Marines into the Marshall Islands in World War II. And uh, his job was to stand on the beach and to have those colorful flags to signal in the Marines coming ashore. And I remember him telling me, he said, you know, Mark, I felt like a target standing on the beach, waving these flags saying, here I am, you know, come get me. And I'll never forget that. But I grew up <clears throat> having this, this fervor and, and deeply patriotic sense within me. Back in the day, you know, when TV used to actually go off at night, you remember, does anybody remember those days? It didn't run all day and constantly around the clock, but they actually used to have an ending to, to the shows on TV. And at the end of the day, there was always the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem that played. You remember that? And there would always be these little images of some of our, our combat activity and our, our warriors fighting in the battles. So I had deeply entrenched in me this patriotic sense. And God called me into chaplaincy somehow. I was on my way to seminary not to become a chaplain. My sister came back from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, where her father-in-law was the commanding officer. She went and spent some time there and observed the chaplains in action. She came back and she was so excited about the, the work and the ministry of the chaplains. And she told me about it. And I, I began to have these little wheels turn inside. So I got one of those little recruiting brochures that had pictures of chaplains and their uniforms on there. And I just stared at that thing for long periods of time. And, and I said, well, maybe God would want me to be a Navy chaplain. Now, I told you I was called into ministry probably in my senior year. And my dad, as a pastor, gave me some opportunities to, to serve and to preach in the services. My very first sermon, he gave me uh, a, a Wednesday evening to preach to the congregation. So we used to do that on Wednesday nights. And so I practiced and I prayed and I prepared and, and, and I got up to preach and everything I knew and I could say, I said in about eight minutes and I was done. Now, many of you are saying, oh, for those glory days, just eight minute sermons, I know. But little did I believe or know that God would call me to become a Navy chaplain. But on my way to seminary, I realized that I needed to, be, uh, to have a Master's of Divinity degree. So I called the seminary and asked them, would you change my degree program to that? And they said yes. And I knew I could always change if necessary, but God never changed his mind. He continued to open those doors for me to become a Navy chaplain of all things. 
And I thank the Lord for the opportunity to serve over the last 27, 30 years because we have the finest men and women in the world serving our country who put up their hands and say, I will. Amen? Who raise their hands and promise to defend our Constitution against all enemies, foreign or domestic. And to take the orders of those put in charge over them, even if it means going into harm's way. Even if it means giving them their lives in sacrifice. These are the kind of people that we remember today. Undoubtedly, all of us have been touched in some way here today by maybe some of those that we have known that have been lost. We've had protracted wars over the last decade and a half plus in this country. But even going back farther, most of you, if not all of you, have been touched potentially by some that have lost their lives and given their lives in sacrifice. Today, we remember. I remember a first lieutenant, Robin Schulte, who was a U.S. Air Force Academy grad serving with me in a unit that I was assigned to in Afghanistan at the time, who on her way between Kabul and Bagram lost her life to an IED explosion. How quickly she was gone. We held her memorial service, and it was a service where there was not a dry eye. But as we stood there in attention with the flag waving, we realized the great cost that she paid, and we honored her. I remember her today. I remember another young PFC. His name was Eric Smith. He was stationed in Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii, where I was stationed at the time. I was the chapel pastor of the base chapel uh, in Marine Corps base there at the time. Eric was a new Christian. He had come to know the Lord just recently before I had gotten there. He would come to our chapel services. Eric was hungry and eager to know more about the Lord and to grow in his faith. Eric was one of those Marines, those young Marines uh, that would end up around our table on Sunday afternoons, uh, helping us to put away that pot roast that my wife had cooked. Didn't take long either with three hungry Marines and two strapping boys that I had. We would sit around and Eric would linger just a little bit longer after we were finished. And we would sit and have great theological discussions. And he was so interested to learn more and to grow in his faith. And I remember some of those great conversations. He had some great questions that he would ask. He began to feel himself a leaning towards a call to ministry. He served as a dog handler there in Conway Bay. And we parted company. I, I left from there. He went off to a new set of orders in Marine Security Guard over in one of the countries in Africa. And I kind of lost track of him for a little while there. I understand he got out of the Marine Corps as a staff sergeant. And then as he was staying in contact, was just a bit asking about what schools to go to for a theological education. Uh, he had something catch his eye and someone caught his attention and asked him to come be a part of a security detail for the State Department over in Iraq. And I understand in 2005, the helicopter he was in was shot down and it crashed and, and he died there. So I remember Eric Smith today. 
remember Josh. I remember so many who've gone before us and given their lives. Today we remember. Remembrance is not something that is new. In the history of the Peloponnesian War, Thucydides, the author, writes about an Athenian politician, Pericles, who gives a eulogy for the, the dead of their war that they were fighting at the time. Every year they would do this. They would take time to remember those who had fallen in battle. And he challenged them to remember. In Deuteronomy, we are exhorted, never forget the things that we have seen and learned and teach them to our kids and to our children's children. When Joshua crossed over the Jordan, God held the waters back again. You remember the story? As he had done with the Red Sea, he pushed back the river and the Israelites walked over on dry land. And this time God said, take a stone and have a member of each tribe place a memorial on the banks of the Jordan River so that the Israelites will never forget what God did there. We remember. Jesus, when he had his last supper with the disciples, and they sat around that table and he gave to them the bread and he gave to them the drink, and he said, as often as you do this together, do this in remembrance of me. It's important that we remember. It's important that we learn from those who have sacrificed and given themselves for us. It's important that we never forget. About a year and a half ago, two years ago now, I had the great opportunity to do something I always wanted to do. And I went with a small group of Marines out of Hawaii, where I was stationed at the time. And we went to Iwo Jima. And I had the opportunity to uh, land on that little patch of volcanic land out in the Pacific. And the opportunity to hike from the beach all the way up to the top of Mount Suribachi. And you'll remember the, the image that's iconic for the Marine Corps, uh, where they're raising the flag on top of the mountain there. Uh, Mr. Hipple, who is a member of the church here, came up to me, uh, maybe some of you know, and, and uh, he told me that he and his family have one of the original photos signed by Joe Rosenthal, who took that picture of that iconic image of the flag raising on Mount Suribachi. But as I hiked up that mountain, uh, for one, there was not a dry place on my uniform because it was intensely hot. And it was very extremely hard climb. And as we got to the top, I joined hands with a bunch of Marines and we had a prayer on top of that mountain. But you couldn't help but think about those lives that were given in sacrifice on that little small island, climbing, ascending Mount Suribachi so that that flag could be raised. Among those who climbed that mountain was a young private first class, Jack Lucas. Now, Jack Lucas got into the Marine Corps when he was 14 years old. And he did that by forging his parents' signature on the document that said he was 17. So I'll start out and just admit that he was not a very honest man. 
but he was a very courageous man. And when he wasn't, he, he had joined the Marine Corps here in Norfolk at a reserve unit. And when he wasn't automatically sent off to war, he somehow or another found his way. He got assigned to Pearl Harbor and he was there doing menial tasks and he saw an opportunity to get on a ship. And he jumped on that ship and went AWOL basically from his unit and went out into the Pacific because he thought surely he would be able to get into the war and fight the battle. And so when that ship didn't, he hopped on another ship and he found himself with 26 Marines as they went ashore on Iwo Jima. Before he got to Iwo Jima, about three days before he arrived there, he turned 17 years old. As he started up that mountain, he didn't even have a rifle. They had found out that he had, uh, had uh, gone AWOL a couple of occasions. He found a sympathetic colonel that forgave everything that he had done. And uh, so he went ashore with the Marines on Iwo Jima. And as he went up, I think in the first day of the battle, as they were working their way up that hill, they were attacked by the enemy at that time. And they came down on them and he fired a shot and his rifle jammed. And then the next thing they knew, in came two grenades into their trench where they were. Did he run? No. He fell on top of those grenades and absorbed the impact of the one that exploded. The Marines, thinking that he was dead, mortally wounded, they went on and advanced up the hill. But as they came back to collect the bodies of those, they saw that he was not only not dead, that he was still alive, but he was conscious. And they went on and after multiple surgeries to remove all the shrapnel in his body that was lodged throughout and in every major organ, he survived. And he, in October of that same year, it was February when this happened, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor, the youngest ever to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor at the age, the ripe old age of 17. What compels people like Jack? What compels others who put on the uniform to go into service and be willing to take the commands of their leaders and giving their lives, if necessary, in sacrifice. I believe that it has everything to do with love. John chapter 15, verse 13, and you'll see this on a lot of memorials to our military. The verse of Scripture is inscripted, Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked the great, what is the greatest commandment as they were trying to corner him, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on, he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The kind of love that compels others to give their lives for those around them is a love that is selfless, that gives itself in service and sacrifice. It's a love that drives the heart of those who are willing to lay on the altar of freedom their last full measure of devotion. Those service members who put on the uniform willing to go are literally becoming for us a substitutionary sacrifice. 
They died so that we would not have to. They gave themselves so that we would not have to. Their names are etched on the wall of warriors in the hall of heroes. We must never forget those who have given so much. This kind of sacrifice is a perfect illustration of the love that God has for us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He became the substitute for us and for our sin. Jesus gave his life and in John chapter 3, verse 16, we know that God loved the world so much he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 17, it says that God sent on his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son, the world might be saved. And he offers that salvation to you and me. Pericles, in his eulogy, he not only remembers those of dead, but then at the end of his eulogy, he turns his attention to those who are living. And he exhorts them to live up to the standards that have been set by those who died in the battle. Many of you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. You remember Tom Hanks' character who's gone out to rescue Private Ryan who had uh, three other brothers who had been killed in that war. So they were trying to save him so his mother had one son left. And so as Tom Hanks is sitting there Dying after he's rescued Private Ryan, he looks him in the eye and he says, now earn this. And Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 12, does essentially the same thing. And he, he calls the Roman believers and the readers of the book of Romans to account. And he reflects on the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans where he says that Sin leads to death. And the sin that came from Adam leads to death. But through Jesus Christ, we can have life and life eternal. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Therefore now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to make and give your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and pleasing will of God. So in essence, Paul is saying, I urge you to make yourself a living sacrifice. When he urges, basically the word that is used there is the word in Greek, parakaleo. It's a compound word that when put together, it is a word that says, uh, it, it indicates I'm begging and pleading with you to listen to me. Hear what I'm saying to you because this is something that is ultimately for you very, very important. It's the picture of a drill sergeant walking alongside the troops in formation in their face as close as they can get now saying get in step get in line 
don't go that way, go this way. You remember Gomer Pyle and Sergeant Carter? That's the picture I have in my mind. But Paul is saying, this is so important. Listen to me. I urge you by the mercies of God to make your life and give your life as a living sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, sacrifice is necessary. Without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for our sin. Sacrifice is anything that is consecrated and offered to God. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the sacrifice that was given was an animal that was provided as a sacrifice, and the priest would offer it then to God. What we see in the Old Testament is God's willingness to accept a substitute sacrifice for sin. And we know that this is really just truly a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus would offer for us. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ became that perfect Lamb of God. And He went to the cross and He came to this earth for a purpose. And there on the cross, we know that He died for our sins. And as He bowed His head and prepared to give up His life, He said those words, Tethelestai. He said, it is finished. In essence, what He was saying was that it is over. My purpose, my coming. Sin is finished because of His precious blood as the one perfect, sinless lamb was paid once and for all for you and for me. Aren't you glad that he loves us that way? Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. When Jesus gave his life, when God gave his son, it was out of his love that he poured out himself. The tremendous sacrifice that was made for you and me in the sacrifice of being separated for Jesus from God the Father because the sin that He took on Himself for the whole world, for you and for me. He says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. We have to die to self daily and live for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We must consecrate ourselves to God continually and surrender not only our bodies, but also our whole selves. What does God require of us? He requires everything. Not just the crumbs, not just a part, but He requires everything of us. It's a picture of a military general handing over his sword as an act of surrender. When we surrender our lives to God and when we become a living sacrifice, we realize that a dead sacrifice has no intrinsic value, but a living sacrifice is worth everything. A dead, dead sacrifice costs nothing, but a living sacrifice costs everything. Isaac when he was laid on that altar before God, Abraham was commanded to go give his son as a sacrifice. And when he went to that altar and was laid on that altar, he was to become a sacrifice that would be killed on that altar. 
But God, as we sang in our song, or God made a way. And he provided the ram in the thicket. And once again, he provided a substitution. And Isaac went there to become a dead sacrifice. And he walked away a living sacrifice. God calls us to the altar of submission. God calls us to the altar of commitment of our lives. And Paul exhorts us to become a living sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We can choose to run away or we can choose to run to God. If we run away, we may miss out God's very best. When I was growing up, we, we lived in the church called the Pastorium, which was right beside the church building. I was living in, in North Florida. My dad was pastoring a small rural church at the time. And as many of the churches would go, on the one side of the church was the Pastorium, and on the other side of the church was a cemetery. Have you ever seen those small churches? And as a young boy, I was in elementary school, not yet first grade. I think I was maybe in first grade. And my dad was pastoring this church, and I was scared to death of going on the other side of the church where that cemetery was. Because my mind, you know, your imagination does things to you when you're a little kid. You know, I would think things were under my bed, and, and I certainly didn't want to go over there because I only imagined at night what was going on over there. So on, on the rare occasion... You know, I, I would disobey my parents. I disobeyed my dad on one occasion. He was the disciplinarian in the family. And I, I can only remember like maybe a couple times I, I disobeyed my dad. But this was one of those times. And I knew I had to make a decision. The decision was either I stand there and face the music, and I wasn't quite sure I wanted to do that, or I had one other option. And I could either stand and face the music, or I could run. Well, I stand before you today and say I made a very bad decision. We had one of those screen doors on the front door of our house that had the little spring on it, you know. And you swing open the door, and, and if you let it go, it slams with a mighty sound crack behind you. So, so in my bad moment of decision, I ran out that front door and took off as my dad was coming to confront me with what I had done, my my infraction on the house rules. And so as I headed out that door and I headed over towards the church away from the house and I heard that door slam a second time, my dad was in hot pursuit. <laughs> and here I am, a young man. I knew that in his elder years, he was, I think, in his early 30s at the time, <laughs> that he probably wasn't going to be able to catch up with this, these young legs. So as I headed over to the church, I knew it was only my, my only way of escape. And I stopped at the church because I wasn't going to go over here. And there leaning up against the building was a ladder where they had been doing some construction on the educational building of the church. And I saw that was my only way of escape. So I headed up that ladder on top of the building and I see my dad coming towards the building. And I know I've had him now because in his age, there's no way he's coming up this ladder. But to, to my amazement, I look down and there he is. He's coming up this ladder after me. So I'm looking around for any way of escape. And there's a big pile of sand they were using to mix mortar down below. 
So you guessed it. Yes, I went off the building into that pile of sand because I could get escape from it. So I head back this direction away from what's on this side of the church and I head back towards the house. And as I go back, I look back and there my dad is jumping off the building also into that pile of sand coming after me. So I go around the house and I round the corner. And as I come around the corner towards the front door again, I look over my shoulder, nowhere to be seen. But as I turned back around, I ran square into my dad who was standing in front of me. And as I look at his belt level and then looked up into his face and with him looking down at me, I tried to think of something really, really important to say at that time, something very profound. And all I could think of was, was something that I thought was very profound at the time were those words, uh-oh because I knew I had been caught and I knew I had to face the consequences. You see, we can find ourselves running away from God when the very one who created us and loved us and knows us better than anyone is standing there to welcome us with open arms and we can find ourselves running the other way. Paul urges us to become living sacrifice, holy, which is means to be set apart for His purposes and acceptable to God. God is not impressed by all that we have. He's not impressed by what we can do. God is interested in the heart of the believer. God looks inside of us and He wants our hearts. He doesn't want just the crumbs, but he wants everything. This, Paul says, is our reasonable act of worship. The word for reasonable is logikos in Greek, which means it's the only logical thing to do. If you look at all that God has done, it's the logical things to follow him and to give your life to him. Become living sacrifices. Find something worth dying for and live for it. And a life of service for the Lord is certainly worth it. When someone takes the oath to join the military, they raise their hand and they promise to defend the Constitution of the United States and to obey the orders of those placed over them. And the picture we have here is that when we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, it's as though we take a blank sheet of paper and we sign at the bottom of it our name allowing God to fill in the details. We step out in faith and say, Lord, here I am. Take this sacrifice. Use me. Make me purposeful for you. May my life make much of who you are and become less in the meantime. God fills in those details. God is faithful. I love the song. He has never failed me yet. And I tell you, He will never, ever, ever fail you if you give your life to Him. Jack Kelly, and I understand his granddaughter used to be a part of one of these, uh, your Bible study groups here. He said when asked, why did you do what you did? He said, it didn't matter where you were from or who you were. 
we all looked out for each other. Dakota Meyer, who, who uh, received the Medal of Honor more recently, said, you know, we did it because we love each other. That's why I did what I did in sacrifice. Today we remember. We remember those who have died in service to our country. We must never forget. But we also remember the price that Jesus paid for you and me. We have the great blessing and honor to come to Him, to lay our lives on the altar before Him as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, take me. Use me. Make something of this vessel for your kingdom and for your purposes. In closing, during World War II, a young soldier named David Webster of Easy Company of the 104th Airborne wrote his mother, Mom, stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. And if necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. Join me as we pray. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation time. Brother Gary and others may come here to receive you. But if you have never given your life to Christ and asked Him to save you from your sin, to receive that gift of eternal life, I encourage you, today is the day to do that. If you are a Christian here today and you haven't laid everything on the altar before God, and you need to recommit yourself and more fully give yourself for, to Him as a living sacrifice. Today is the day to do that. Lord, we pray that in this service, as Your Spirit has moved, we pray that You will be glorified. May You be glorified through our lives. May our lives count for You so that when our tombstones are etched, Lord, that we can say too, it was worth it. It was worth it. Move in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.